Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Hello and welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. My name is Sam Dover. I'm a senior beauty and personal care analyst here at Mintel. And today I'm joined by Alexis, Matthew and Hannah to discuss department stores and whether or not the department store concept is relevant in today's retail market. So it would be great if to get us started, you could all just very briefly introduce yourselves. Let's start with Alexis. Hi, I'm Alexis DeSalva. I'm the Senior Retail and E-Commerce Analyst here in the States. Hi, I'm Matthew Crabb. I'm the Director of Trends for Asia Pacific. Um, I'm Hannah Barham and I'm a Senior Retail Analyst for the UK Reports. Amazing. So now please correct me if I'm wrong here, everyone, but I think it's fair to say that being a department store business in today's retail environment is pretty challenging. While some have prospered in recent years, many have struggled. And the situation has worsened in 2020 with COVID-19, which has added even more pressure to these retailers. Do you all agree? And what does the department store look like in each of your regions? Um, I can start. I think that's the understatement (laughs) at best, I think, here, at least in the States. Um, Historically, we've seen in the last few years that department stores are struggling simply because there is such a... um, big competitive landscape in terms of what are the items that are really driving sales at department stores. So mostly apparel, accessories, homeware, things like that. Um, In the States, especially, we see a lot of competition from those big box mass merchandisers like a Target um, and now an Amazon. And I think the... The strong players like a Nordstrom have really been um, at the forefront of kind of evolving with the consumer, but now all of those plans are kind of on pause. And for all retailers, really trying to keep up with a Target or an Amazon has kind of had a wrench thrown in their plans now with COVID um, because most of those retailers can't operate any store. So this is kind of a very uncharted territory that is making the situation um, even worse in the States. Definitely. And similar in the UK, Hannah? Yeah, I think it's actually quite interesting that um, across the different regions that we see that department stores are struggling. Um, So it's not just a UK thing. Um, A lot of the department stores were having big trouble before COVID-19, and this has just kind of exacerbated a lot of the issues. Um, So as Alexis said, there's been a lot of competition from online retailers, such as Amazon, which could be seen as Um, an online department store Um, and then there's also a lot of polarization in the UK market so people going really premium or going for you know more fast fashion or cheaper options so because of that a lot of the department stores sit somewhere in the middle um, and they've really struggled so in the UK anyway we've seen the luxury department stores have really been pulling the sector along and they've been doing really quite well despite the fact that some of the others have struggled. Interesting. Um, Matthew, I feel like the department store sector is a bit different in in Asia. Uh, the department store sector is different across Asia. Um, obviously, I'm do, I'm, rather than just talking about one country, I'm talking about half of humanity here. So there's quite a lot to cover. Um, <laughs> but what I what I will say is that um, you know previous to COVID, I think you know yes, department stores were struggling, particularly in the more sort of uh, mastige, and I think you know the luxury end was sort of still doing okay. Um, Really, it was uh, uh, in terms of survival. It was about the 
you know, providing a really good experience for shoppers. Now, I think, you know, things have really changed. It's really difficult to tell at the moment where things are going to go. Uh, my gut feel is that um, with a slowdown in a, many economies, uh, people will be budgeting. That could be an even bigger problem for many uh, department stores as people are spending less on luxury. However, one of the things that we're seeing in terms of the shift in uh, the drivers that, uh, that uh, um, in the, the consumer markets, not just in Asia Pacific, but what I've been seeing globally is that there's, there's been this resurgence of this belief in community, so uh, um, supporting local businesses, uh, moving back into heritage. So that could be something that uh, if department stores are smart and tap into that, they could they could uh, use that as a lever uh, towards recovery. But again, you know, um, the online retail sector in Asia Pacific is already very well developed. It's now spread even further. There's more older people shopping online. That could also, you know, tip the balance in the other way. Yeah, definitely. I think you've touched on it perfectly there, Matthew. I think the rise of online has had such a major impact on the department store sector globally. Um, so from your guys' perspective, what do you think department stores should be doing as they face more competition online? How can they make sure they have a compelling online proposition, basically? I think really utilizing a lot of the features that maybe consumers were kind of hesitant or even unaware of before the situation. So I know in the States, um, there's a lot of brands that are kind of taking advantage of Zoom. We're doing it right now. Um, so kind of using that to maybe have like a virtual consultation or really ramping up on their virtual chats, not just having like a bot. Um, here in the States, it's not a department store, but I think it, it's still a good example. There's an online retailer, Zappos. So they never have that face-to-face option and they have expanded their customer service to um, what they're calling it's literally customer service for anything I'm doing air quotes you can't see me but um, <laughs> you can tweet them um, I saw something the other day that said like Mother's Day is coming up here in the States and they were asking about recipes like I have a mom that's gluten-free what can I bake so you can literally ask them things like that you could tweet them email them call them text them you can ask them about um, you know how to Birkenstocks fit or what should I get my my mom for Mother's Day, or you can ask them about who's delivering food in my area because restaurants are closed and they will help with anything. Now, that is not something that's going to be feasible for everyone or, um, you know, every kind of every kind of retailer. But I think kind of taking advantage of these platforms, whereas maybe people before weren't really that inclined to tweet, you know, that maybe was a very specific consumer, but not all consumers, or maybe weren't inclined to do a virtual chat or a Zoom session. Now they really have no choice. So it's about taking advantage of this time when consumers kind of have to migrate digitally and start transitioning more of that pre-purchase process online so that there's less leakage later. And I suppose the argument for that is as well is that, you know, some of these habits that people do pick up during, you know, whilst these stores are closed, whilst non-essential stores are closed and in the lockdown period, I suppose there's an argument that many of many consumers will maintain those habits after, you know, after the lockdown. Yeah, and I think part of that is that even when stores open, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be comfortable going back to stores right away for who knows how long. And it will be, especially in the United States, I imagine it's like this in Asia, just because of how big it is. It's a phased approach. There's going to be regional differences there. So that doesn't mean a one size fits all sentiment or retailer approach. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly true. I think you know we're seeing different approaches to uh, recovery, if you like. Um, but following on from the the example that you gave just then, I think you know the, the the key thing to remember about retail is it is a service. Now, one of the ways that uh, physical store retailers can differentiate themselves is that person to person service, and the quality of the service is the brand. And I think you know that's one advantage uh, that physical bricks and mortar stores had over the online shopping experience. The online shopping experience is where you just get stuff cheap. You can find anything. But I think if you're looking for advice, if you're looking for confidence in that advice, that person-to-person engagement, where the kind of trust that you build with somebody, that could be the advantage again of physical stores. Now, that's something that department stores always used to do really well. Um, you know, link that with um, you know, good customer service, with a bit of heritage, with a bit of knowledge. Uh, that could be uh, a winning combination. Yeah, definitely. And I think coming back to the UK, I know we've seen a couple of things um, in the UK market where kind of connecting that kind of online and offline experience. So I know there's the Harvey Nichols Hero Partnership and John Lewis since the lockdown have introduced digital consultations as well. Hannah, do you think this is something that's going to pick up in the UK? Yeah, I think so. I think um, it will have to. And actually, department stores are quite well placed for it. So um, as Matthew was saying, like customer service is a really big thing for department stores. And we see from our research that the reason customers do shop in department stores is to get that, you know, that in-store experience and to um, get something different to what they can get online. And they can, so department stores are showing, beginning to show anyway, that they can offer this customer experience online. So um, John Lewis, as you said, has been offering like one-on-one consultations across fashion, beauty, home to show customers different things they can do. Um, and Harrods as well have started to do like a phone service with some of their top customers to really help them with that shopping experience. And I think that this is something that can be continued even when stores reopen. So um, again, it's not a department store, but one of um, the electrical retailers in Europe, um, Dixon's Carphone, they've started to do um, like a live chat thing. And what they've said is that they're going to continue that even when shops open. So they'll do like live chats in store. So really someone in the store will be showing someone products online um, and helping them in that way. So really bringing that physical store experience into the online world, which I think is something that department stores cover so many sectors and they could probably do that quite well. I think that's interesting too, because the other part of this whole discussion is, you know, retailers have to figure out how they're going to protect themselves and their employees, not just from like sales and profit, but just from, you know, the well-being of the employees. And I think consumers, at least in the States, are actually starting to become more aware of that and trying to kind of affiliate their dollars where um, where they feel good about it with the retailers that are actually, you know, taking action to protect the community, protect their own. And I think that doing something like that, that you just mentioned, Hannah, I think is really interesting because it's it's less risk for the actual retailer and, um, and their employees in the store as well. So it's kind of figuring out how to navigate the, the short term before we are fully back to normal or a new normal yeah definitely and I think as you've both as you've all kind of said really it's um more about connecting the dots between online and offline going forward so once stores do reopen I can't help but think there's going to have to be more of a digital presence in terms of checking being able to check stock things like that because if you're going to go to a department store with a 
in it with an aim to buy something, you're going to want to guarantee that those items are in stock now, I would imagine. So I think we'll see much more emphasis just in connecting. You know, you'll be able to check stock online much more, much more easily. Because I know there's a lot of retailers that do offer that kind of service, but I just don't think the, you know, the quality of it, it's not always that reliable, especially not in the UK. So little things like that will definitely need to be improved, I guess. And then, so I'm going to swing back because I think we can't really talk about department stores without talking about how important in-store experience is. Um, you know, prior to the coronavirus outbreak, you know, a massive part of the U- USP of a department store is, you know, that in-store experience. So with that in mind, and kind of, I want to talk about how we see that experience evolving. What is and what isn't working at the minute and what do we think the department store's experience is going to look like in a post-COVID world? The hard-hitting question. <laughs> I know, <Yeah>. pause. <laughs> um, I can start with just some examples. I think um, I always go back to Nordstrom, but I think there's a reason for that. They have been around for over 100 years and I think that is just a testament to their ability to evolve and to really kind of um, recognize how the changing how the consumer behavior is changing but also to Matthew's earlier point recognizing that the point of going to a store is really about service Um, and they really do exemplify that but it's not always the same service so um, they recent well recently it feels like 100 years ago but it was in October um, they opened their first flagship in New York City which is an unusual thing for a retailer in a time like this, considering, you know, the the amount of rent and um, just the amount of money spent on getting that store up and running. But it really is a beautiful store. I encourage anyone who has a chance to visit it to do so once it's reopened. And what they've done is really kind of figure out how they can offer best in class service, but with differentiated experiences, but that it doesn't feel gimmicky. So I think what we're, we start to kind of get to is like retailers know that they have to kind of differentiate, but sometimes it feels so gimmicky. And I think what Nordstrom does is really capitalize on the fact that consumers want that tactile experience. That's why they're really going there for product discovery, even if they don't really know what they're looking for. Um, So Nordstrom started out as a shoe retailer, like way back in the day. So they kind of um, leaned into that heritage again to to the earlier point. Um, And they offer now a shoe bar. So you can essentially have a martini and buy shoes, which I don't encourage, but I'm sure it helps their sales out um but you you go to the floor it's the entire floor is shoes and they have kind of this hybrid of lower lower price more affordable brands their own private brand mixed with maybe a little bit more mass market mixed with luxury and designer and there really is no like stopping point of like this is this price point this is that um which i think is kind of a nice blend in case people do want to shop high low which we do start seeing you can walk up to a salesperson and say yeah here are the shoes that i'm interested in they look for it on their ipad they go behind the scenes and kind of take care of everything that you don't even don't even know what's going on it doesn't even you know interact with your shopping experience and then you can walk over to a nike wall while also picking up a drink and it's kind of this very like social interactive experience you really have a whole conversation with the salesperson so you're getting that service but you're kind of you're able to kind of 
choose your own adventure on the sales floor and do it in a way that is very different than if I went to Target to look for shoes or if I went online to Amazon. Um, so I think kind of figuring out something that's unique but true to the brand and really still is, is highlighting that service is really imperative, especially as we move forward and consumers are going to be scaling back their spending. They want to know that when they do spend their dollar that it's worth it. Okay, that the um, offering has been very much leading towards experiential, not in, um, I mean, what Alexis was saying sounds amazing in terms of what Nordstrom are offering. Um, and I can't think of an equivalent here in terms of that kind of level of customer service. And also the luxury department stores here do tend to be quite um, split when it comes to price ranges. So you'll have lower priced items on one floor and, you know, the very high end high fashion items on another floor. So I think that's a really interesting um, point and something that maybe more could take on in terms of offering more of a mix. People do tend to shop different brands um, and build outfits, not necessarily by just buying high end. So I think that's super interesting. But what we've seen is more of a real focus on actual experiences. So Things like Selfridges is one that has um, moved so um, quickly and done so much in this area. So offering, um, they've opened last year, they opened a cinema within their shop. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spend the whole day there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's the point. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the year before this, they opened, um, if you go on their menswear floor, so they've tried to like um, bring their menswear, maybe bring in a new demographic of younger men, um, trendier, um, very streetwear focused. So in line with that, they opened a skate bowl um, right in the middle of the menswear floor, um, which is fascinating to see. And it's not just a gimmick because whenever I've been um, walking around the menswear floor there, you do see people using it. Um, so it is interesting because that's not a customer that maybe would go into Selfridges otherwise. But they're going in using the skateboard and I guess at the same time they could be walking around and seeing items that appeal to them. Um, so I think that what they've done is um, really innovative there. And alongside that, they've also brought in loads of different pop-ups. So last year they had a pop-up with Instagram um, doing lots of different, um, like selling lots of different items by more direct-to-consumer um, brands that might pop up on your Instagram adverts. Um, so being able to see those in real life um, and bring those to life. And then they've also partnered a lot with like fashion rental businesses or secondhand um, luxury businesses. So just bringing lots of different ideas and that would appeal to a really wide range of consumers. Yeah, I love the idea of um, more kind of pop-ups and things like that within stores. I mean, one of the best performing retailers in the UK at the minute is obviously is Box Park, um, who kind of hosts a, a revolving kind of rotation of different kind of upcoming brands and retailers in kind of shipping containers. And they're doing so well at the minute. And I just think it's, it kind of exemplifies the way retail is going, how it kind of constantly needs to be evolving and kind of constantly giving consumers something new and a bit exciting, basically. Matthew, what's, how do you see kind of the in-store experience evolving in Asia? Um, well, in Asia, essentially, um, the whole retail experience revolves around the food hall. If you don't get your food hall, <laughs> people don't come in your store for a start. Um, the problem is then once you've got people into your food hall, then how do you get them you know, to actually buy something in the store? People you know, will often just wander through the department store straight to the food hall, get something to eat, enjoy a very nice dinner, thank you very much, and go straight out again. That's the problem. So I think this idea of sort of merging 
the eating experience with the, 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 the shopping experience. In Asia, probably more likely sort of having a meal whilst shopping rather than having a martini whilst buying shoes. Uh, but I think that, you know, that, that, that could be the, the key really and you know shopping malls and department stores have also tried uh you know linking to more entertainment for example cinemas um and you know bringing up in uh, more pop-up stores uh you know using uh different types of uh layouts to try and uh, essentially merge the the retail and the and the food service experience more together and i think that's one of the ways that you know for asia pacific specifically i think you you know that would be a good strategy to sort of get that merger between the food service, the the community, the, the the reason to go there, and actually being able to sell people things. Yeah, the idea of multifunctional kind of retail spaces is really interesting. I think it was really it kind of exemplified the kind of negativity in the press um, in the UK a few months back. Um, I think Phoenix announced that it was going to kind of give some of its space up to kind of as a working space, like a co-working space. And the kind of negativity in the headlines surrounding that was, you know, it's having to, you know, it's the end of the department store and it's having to give up all this space. And But actually it kind of, it just, shows what how retail is evolving and how kind of you know you might kind of go into that space work but then actually that might drive a bit of footfall into the store itself and you know so I think it's interesting how the media tends to play on things and say that you know it's a negative when actually kind of having a workspace within a department store actually could be a really nice experience. Can I add something to that? I I think that's interesting about the partnerships because I I think it's really smart if there's strength in numbers. And I feel like, you know, you mentioned in the UK, all of like the use of pop-ups and kind of partnering with like the rentals or some of the DTC brands. And I really think that that is a good way for a retailer, maybe that's been around for a while to kind of inject some newness, but also for a younger retailer, maybe doesn't have that reach. You learn from each other. You kind of have a safer test and learn environment. You share each other's resources. It's obviously a lower risk, but it's interesting because right now this week and fact, we're starting to see um, how it can go the other way over time. So JCPenney is a department store that has been around for a while in the States, but they've been struggling. In fact, they are one department store that we have our eye on in terms of anticipating they'll they'll file for bankruptcy because of all this. It'll be like the nail in the coffin. Um, But I believe back in around like 2006, they partnered with Sephora. They, this was at a time when Sephora had not nearly as big of a footprint as they do now. Um, I think they had less than 200 stores then. And JCPenney had what they called Sephora and JCPenney, really original. (laughs) But they had little boutique stores inside of a larger JCPenney store. Um, In fact, I used to work in New York. There was one by my old office in Herald Square. So it was the way for JCPenney, or excuse me, Sephora to kind of like test the waters before they expanded further. And now this week, Sephora said to JCPenney, they want out of their deal early. I think they're trying to end their deal three years early and now JCPenney is suing them. So there's this whole thing of like what happens when, you know, the little brand kind of outgrows the bigger, because in that time, JCPenney, their store count has shrunk quite a bit while Sephora's has grown a lot. And at this point, it's probably a headache for Sephora to really be in a JCPenney. Now that is with a physical footprint carved out in the store. It's a little bit different than having just like a display or a service that you're partnering with. Um, But it is kind of interesting to see how over time, when 
one, when the smaller partner kind of gets too big, um, they can outgrow the bigger one. So I think you have to be really smart about the partnerships and, and what it means for both parties over time. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting example. I didn't know that was that was going on. Um, I think what, what I'm going to kind of come back to as well now as well is kind of in terms of assortment, in terms of differentiation, I think that's going to become more and more important. I think it comes back to the idea of online competition being so so harsh these days for department stores. You know, the differentiated kind of assortment is arguably becoming more and more important. Would you all agree? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and that is one thing that we've seen here that um, department stores are really trying to use to their advantage to differentiate themselves between competitors. Um, but also because um, in the UK anyway, there's been really high levels of discounting. Um, every year we see more and more um, brands getting in on Black Friday, for example. Um, and the competition has become far more fierce. So what a lot of um, what some of the department stores have done are release exclusive products with certain brands that they won't have to discount because no competitor is offering the same thing anyway, um, or different exclusive pop-ups with different brands that we've seen that in some of the luxury department stores, um, which will release maybe products in specific colorways um, for that specific store, um, or even just releasing more own brand product that they have more say over what happens with it. Um, and also, again, we'll bring customer into the store because they can't find that product anywhere else. So I'd say that's been a huge um, pull that department stores have been trying to use to get customers to go back into their stores. Yeah, definitely. Because I know it's John Lewis, isn't it, who has the... Um the price match promise where it basically kind of it says that you you won't find the same product elsewhere um uh, with a in another store-based retailer at a lower price so they always price match whenever their competitors go on discount and i think it's you know it's arguably becoming more and more challenging for john lewis to hold that up so they've invested heavily into i know their own label and getting in some more exclusive brands Alexis and Matthew, is it you know is this similar kind of discounting and price competition in in your regions? I think we were seeing that already because there is so much traffic to stores like a Target where um, you know they really leverage their private brands, so they are going to be priced lower. I think consumers have really become. Um, deal seekers here in the States. Um, that doesn't mean that they're not willing to pay a higher price. I think we see a lot of luxury um, uh, purchases happening at department stores. So I think there is a willingness to invest, but it definitely depends on the situation um, and the purchase and the person. Um, I think that the discounting is is where we're headed, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, because, you know, there's just a flurry of issues in terms of inventory and, um, you know, consumers, you know, scaling back their spending. So I think we it's already an issue, but it will continue to be. So it's kind of for the retailer figuring out how they can offer value in a different way. Um, really going back to that service, maybe leaning on things like customization options or, um, you know, 
ex, not even expedited delivery, but just kind of rethinking the delivery. You know, do you want it in a day or do you want to be able to choose the delivery date? Things like that. Do you want to be able to have the option to reserve it online and come in the store and try it on? Little ways that can offer value without relying on a discount can add up and potentially be of greater benefit to the consumer without just relying on a discount. Yeah, I think um, in Asia Pacific, one of the real problems, of course, is you're sort of discounting on a downward spiral against uh, the the massive online retailers, then you're just going to lose. So really for department stores to survive in this uh, climate, I think they have to go back to do what they do best. So one of the things that uh, obviously I've already touched upon is the, the customer service. But I think even more important for department stores is what is your identity? What, how do you stand out as a, as a brand? And I think that's always one of the things with department stores. They always had an identity. Even if it wasn't luxury end, they had identity. And I think that's where they have to drive uh, their marketing. They have to really sort of rediscover that uh, identity. Now, that doesn't mean they sort of close in necessarily. I think, you know, coming back to Alexis' points about, you know, um, uh, Sephora and JC Penny, yeah, maybe partnerships are a good way. Maybe not such long contracts that you end up being outgrown by uh, the, the the startup you're helping out. But you know, working with uh, maybe rotating different brands that align with your identity and with the identity of the kind of consumers that you're trying to target and align. Great. So, last question. Um, it's another big one. So we constantly get the death of the department stores headlines kind of circulating, especially in the UK, we certainly do. But from all of your perspectives, do you think department stores have a place in the future of retail? And if so, what do they, you know, what do they look like? How will the sector look in a world after kind of COVID-19 as well? I can start. I mean, I think that they do have a place, but it's not going to be what it once was. I think overall in retail in the States, unfortunately, I think we're going to see an effect of survival of the fittest. And we're definitely going to have a leaner competitive landscape um, with department stores being no exception to that. We expect to see bankruptcy filings from some of the bigger ones, JCPenney, Lord & Taylor, and Eman Marcus. Those are some of the, the ones that have kind of come up for being on the chopping block. I don't think um, we're going to see any of them necessarily go away entirely, at least not right away. Um, their, their store closings may be more accelerated than, than it would have been without a pandemic. Um, but I do think that we're going to see, even across the board from the strong ones like Nordstrom, that they're going to have to really take a look at how much is too much in terms of assortment and in terms of real estate. How many stores do you really need? How many, um, you know, spinoffs, whether it's a factory store or an outlet store, because that's big here too, do you really need? And kind of really maximizing the, the regionality and the spaces that you have in the right regions to really serve the customers um, well and better and in a way that's not... Um, you know, spreading themselves out too thinly. So that's what I expect to see is a leaner landscape for sure. So kind of an emphasis on fewer but better stores maybe. Yes, maybe. <laughs> I think that's a, that's an optimistic way to put it, but yes. I think it's probably similar in the UK, right, Hannah? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would echo a lot of what Alexis has said. So and we've already started to see it kind of um, before the pandemic and um, again, as Alexis said, I think the pandemic will accelerate a lot of these 
store closures. So even before we had, so M&S, which um, we consider a department store, um, is, has over, well, close to a thousand shops, if you include a lot of their food outlets as well. Um, and they've really um, started to reduce the number of shops they have along um, high streets all across the UK. And they were doing that anyway. Um, but I think the point there was that they want to focus more on online. And if you can get it online, you don't need to have it on every single high street. Um, and Debenhams, which is um, another department store, which has um, a lot of stores across the UK, uh, they started to shutter a lot of their stores at the start of this year. They've just entered their second administration in the space of a year, um, which shows fairly troubling times as well. And they've said that quite a few of their stores won't reopen after lockdown um, already. So and some of their larger stores as well. So in Westfield, London, which is um, a really popular shopping centre um, and would have been quite fairly big for them. They've said that that store won't re- be reopening um, and I expect we'll see, you know, quite a few others as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it will be, again, hope will be fewer but better, but I think that they will, department stores will really need to look at um, modernising and really making the stores that they do have um, really exciting and intriguing to bring customers in. And it's just not feasible to do that if you have... 100 plus stores even you know 50 could be um too much so i think we will see a huge reduction in the number of them i mean quite tellingly the ones that have done well are the ones that have five or less um stores across the uk yeah i think we're going to see a very similar thing across asia pacific if i use malaysia as a a sort of sample country where you know i live in malaysia and um you've got retailers from all around the region from Japan, China, uh, Korea, Australia, Thailand, so on and so forth. And I think, again, you know, there were too many stores, too many shopping malls as well. And I think it's going to be a significant suffer. Um, And what we're going to end up with, I think, is is, um, both as Lexus and Hannah have said, is, is, is the the better experience stores remaining, the ones that offer the better identity, the better service, the better quality of products. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, if I'm comparing uh, different brands around Malaysia, you know, they've got Robinsons from Australia who are doing were doing quite well i think you know they had a really nice uh, store layout they had a good selection of good quality products very helpful staff they could do okay uh some of the cheaper department stores the eons and, and so on uh they they will probably suffer quite a bit because they're going to be keep competing with the online retailers the luxury end the sogos and so on they're going to suffer i think because uh, a lot of the you know the luxury market is going to contract because people even the people with money they're not going to be going out necessarily buying luxury products they're going to be sort of parking their money more strategically into things so i think you know that middle sort of higher to middle uh, end uh, might do quite well uh, if they get their marketing mix right if they get their image right uh, their identity i think they could do okay um, but you know coming back to this point and yes the the stores have got to innovate they've got to keep changing they've got to uh, really think about what it is they're not just retailers uh, anymore they are part of a wider service community uh, and think about what other services they can be bringing in as well as just selling things to people, you know, whether it's helping people with advice, whether it's offering them entertainment, whether it's feeding them, whatever it might be, and really thinking innovatively about not only how you use the physical space 
uh, to deliver a wider range of services as well as selling products, but also using that to online, offline uh, uh, merger, if you like, to get that message across. Amazing. Thank you. So I think, sadly, that is all we've got time for today. I feel like I could talk about this all day, but we don't have time. <laughs> um, so if you would like to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, please head over to Mintel.com. Follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. And check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. Thank you for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, rate and review this podcast. And if you like what you've heard today, please do spread the word and we will catch you next week for another episode of The Little Conversation. Mm